0: You're listening to episode number 23 of Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. Today, our special guest is Liz Murphy. Liz was the Chief Nursing Officer at Mercy Health St. Mary's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And we're going to have a lively conversation about patient and clinician safety from a leadership perspective. So stay tuned. to the Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. We're so grateful you've joined us today. I'm Tracy. And I'm Michelle. We've been interprofessional partners in healthcare for over 30 years.
1: During that time, we've been engaged in healthcare transformation and the development of healthy healing work cultures that result in the best places to give and receive care. We've engaged with healthcare leaders from across North America, and we are tired of seeing time, money,
0: and resources wasted on change efforts that are not sustainable. In this podcast, we explore significant, reoccurring, and competing challenges faced by all healthcare leaders today using a brand new lens called polarity thinking the missing logic in healthcare. You could say we represent the money ball of healthcare. We're here to expand your current thinking and challenge your reliance on problem solving tactics. It's Michelle and Tracy. Welcome back, everybody. We're so grateful to have you here with us for another episode. And you know, Michelle, these are my favorite kinds of episodes because I just love it when we connect with leaders in the field, right? Is they're dealing with the real stuff and they bring that reality to our conversation. And I just think it's so inspiring and just thought provoking and Lessons from the field. Oh, yeah, lessons from the field. And today we have Liz Murphy. And this was just a great conversation. And you know, I haven't known Liz that long, but I have been very impressed with her as a clinical leader. And I'll tell you, we, uh, you know, for our audience, we Michelle and I recently had an opportunity um, to be with Liz and some of the individuals that she leads. And we had an opportunity to listen to them share with her stories of the difference that she's made in their lives as clinicians. And it was tear-provoking. Yes. <laughs> Let me just say that, right? Goosebumps and tears. Oh, and it was just, you know, you don't, you rarely get an opportunity To experience something like that, where Mm -hmm. clinicians can really express their gratitude to the leaders. Um, And you rarely see a leader who has such a strong impact. So Mm -hmm. you're in for a real treat today, because Mm -hmm. Liz is a phenomenal leader, and she's going to share a lot with you.
1: Yeah, she's actually been a role model of mine for a long time, and I've really enjoyed working closer to her over the last few years, and having her on our podcast was just like epic, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And the topic she's going to be talking about is uh, clinician safety and patient safety, and again, lessons from the field. She's been on top of it. It's top of mind for her. She's going to share with us exactly the steps that she and her partners and colleagues within our organization have put into place. And it's such a topic of national significance right now with the increasing violence and the safety issues for clinicians. And even from national organizations, all eyes are on clinician safety and patient mm-hmm. safety. So to have her perspective with us in the studio was just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great treat. Absolutely. So let, let us tell you a little bit about Liz. Um, Liz brings over 40 years of nursing leadership experience. She was the vice president, and chief nursing officer for Mercy Health St. Mary's and Mercy Health Physician Partners in Grand Rapids, Michigan for 15 years. She also has prior experience in healthcare consulting with Deloitte and in various leadership roles from unit based clinical manager to corporate leader for eight hospital healthcare systems for clinical improvement, accreditation, and safety. Liz has a solid understanding of statistical measurements and how to use data and information to improve processes and outcomes. Mercy Health St. Mary's was the first in Michigan to implement a new master's prepared clinical nurse leader role. This new role was created to focus on outcomes and system improvement at the microsystem or point of care. Liz led Mercy Saint Health Mary's for their initial magnet hospital designation and redesignation from the American Nurses Credentialing Center, demonstrating Liz's transformational leadership style. This is the nation's most prestigious honor for nursing achievement and excellence, a measure of quality earned by only 6% of U.S. hospitals. Magnet designation is the national verification of excellence of their nurses and outcomes. And Tracy and I had the opportunity to participate in their community event during their um, Magnet uh, Accreditators meeting, and also I got to see them run across stage, which was very exciting when they won that last Magnet redesignation. So lots of wisdom, lots of positive outcomes, and um, also a lot of wonderful succession planning she has done. We'll add that, by the way. (laughs) And so without further ado, let's listen to Liz.
0: Welcome, Liz. Hi guys, how are you today? Great, great. We're so excited to have you in the studio. Yes. Uh, Yes. It's nice to see
2: your real faces. I'm not much with the Skype and on the computer, so this is cool.
0: That's (laughs) right. So we're so blessed
1: that Liz lives in the same town we do, or at least I do. This is Michelle. (laughs) So I'm like, come on over. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So Liz, we like to start out with something fun. And uh, we know that you've been living in West Michigan for a while and that you love
2: west michigan absolutely and uh, tell us a little bit about what you do for enjoyment well we love to walk and mm-hmm. i love my fur kids as most people who know me do so we have a place up in the traverse area which backs to about 30 acres of woods um, both out the front of the, out of the front of the place and the back so walking in the woods um, walking in timbers recreation area and all the other parks in that up there taking the dogs down to um, Glenhaven, um, walking them on the beach, although the beach is almost gone this year. Not much yeah. place you could walk, uh, but those uh, walks with my da- husband and Gypsy and Luna, my two dogs, are keeping us going.
0: <laughs> and, you know, we're recording this in October. Right. Which is just beautiful in Michigan. Have you been up north to see the colors no, yet? No, I think we're going to head up this
2: weekend. Fall oh. colors should be absolutely amazing. amazing. This is the time of year for bonfires, toes by the fire, and a nice book and a glass of wine. That's yes. all right. <laughs> it doesn't get dark too early, so you got a few more hours before it is pitch black. So. That's right.
0: Yeah. Well, I drove down uh, from up north this week, and it is peaking. It's just yeah. beautiful. So yeah. you're gonna love it if you go up this weekend. Yeah. Even
2: along Fulton, um, going into work this morning, the sun was coming up, and it was all, the colors were already starting. It was. It's not full, but. It was beautiful with the sunshine on them. That's right. And we're going to enjoy it while we can. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. So won't we'll be here
0: for long For that white stuff. Yes. yes.
1: Yeah, and speaking of West Michigan, I just want to con- congratulate you on receiving the West Michigan Women Brilliance Award. That didn't go by me. I got Yay. the West Michigan magazine and there's Liz's face. I'm like, "Woo!" And you got it for mentoring, which yes, I did. is so awesome. So thank you for that.
2: Well, it was it was an honor. Um I was shocked. Um, but if we don't create nursing leaders and great nurses, then our next few years where we might need them a little bit more, um, are not gonna be we want it to be. So there's there's a selfish side of that as well. That's right, that's
1: right. Well Trace and I talk about succession planning too. It's so important oh, yes. to us to mentor, you know, yeah. those that you know, come behind us and really make an impact. So I thought that was fantastic. Thank you. So congratulations. It was kind of cool. Good
0: for you. Yeah. Good for you.
2: And we understand you have some big news. Yes, I do. So um, I announced my retirement, I think it was early July, June, Mm -hmm. July. I don't even Mm -hmm. remember when now, but um, I'm actually going to be retiring. My last day will be November 5th. Um, and my succession plan was very nice. I had multiple people ready um for the role and so um with interviews and even with an external candidate, one of them was announced to be my replacement and we 've had the luxury of having the last month working together so that 's been awesome to try to really pass on to her yeah. and so she doesn 't walk in because way too often chief nursing officers walk into their office the first day cold and really don 't have a clue where they're where they're going or what they're doing and I remember my, I think it was my second day, I found out we were going live with Cerner in six months. (laughs) Somehow in many, many hours and many, many people of interviews, everyone had failed to tell me that little tidbit. So um, I would not want to see anybody go through that again. So it's been my honor to kind of coach her along and look forward to being there for her as she continues.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Well, congratulations. Thank Thank you. Big plans, like you know, sometimes when people retire, like they, I can't wait to retire because I'm going to do X. Anything on your mind? Got some travel plans? Certainly.
2: As I listen to the forecast for winter, um, we're (laughs) we're going to head we're going to head somewhere away from that um, for a period of time and. Having listened to it this morning on the news, that it's going to be even worse than they were saying uh, with Polar Vortex, I'm thinking we might even be extending that a little bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> so, as long as I well, can find a you. place to take my two pups, yeah. as long as the dogs can go with us, we're ready yeah. to go. Can I come visit? I'm, I <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm the only
0: one left here yeah, in Michigan. That's right. I'm, I'm headed to Vegas for the winter. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be sunny there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you. Thank you. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. That's, and again, our mentoring, right? Yes. Like, here you are. It's just in your spirit, yes. my dear. Mentoring this next leader coming in, and what an exciting time for you. And We just really appreciate you taking a few minutes to share your wisdom with our listeners, mm-hmm. because we know you have so much wisdom to share. Thank you. And, uh, you know, not a lot of the people that um, maybe listen to our podcast have been exposed to polarity thinking and polarities in general. Um, So maybe you could just share with our listeners a little bit about how you got exposed and kind of what that's meant to you as a leader. Yeah,
2: so when I came to West Michigan, um, just after I came here, I I was exposed to Bonnie Wazorik. I have to say, for the first time, I hadn't really heard of her, um, but then started to hear about her from people in the organization and people who had worked with her, um, including Phil McCorkle, Mm -hmm. um, who talked about Bonnie, because he was surprised I didn't know her. Um, So I actually got to meet her a few times, hear her a few times, and then I invited her on site at Mercy Health St. Mary's, and she actually did a mini um polarity with all of my leaders um, for just a couple of hours um and they loved it and it was intriguing got me even more interested and so when Grand Valley and, and you guys started mm-hmm. having the courses at Grand Valley um, sent some leaders because I wasn't able to go to the first ones and they came back so geeked. It was really cool to see and so um, over the past few years I've sent more and more of my leaders um have managed to send a couple of physicians as well um, and people get it. The language is, is beginning to be more embedded. Um I've got one of my leaders that I don't care what it is we're talking about. Her first question is... Is this a problem to be solved, or is this a polarity to be managed? <laughs> yeah, um, go girl! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she really um, she slows us all down. Yeah, um, makes everybody stop and pause. Mm-hmm. Um, I use that language at our senior exec team, mm-hmm. so people people know it. They know the language. I'm not sure they've totally get it yet, but really pushing people to stop thinking about either or. Um, and yes or no, and really about both and, Yeah. Um, and how do we do that, and how do we make sure we're balancing both. So we're using the language, I don't think half the people realize that's what they're doing anymore, but it doesn't matter what they call it. That's it's a matter way. that they see both sides of it and that we have to begin to really incorporate that and, and think about if we push too hard on any one thing, what's the pop-up going to be um, And understanding that. Yeah, I think one of the benefits is that common language within a group,
1: you know, and that you can really start making momentum then when you all have that common understanding and and um, have really meaningful conversations about the consequences if you don't realize there's a polarity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And kudos to you as the chief nursing officer to come and sit in the... Um, you know, in the immersion for three days. Yes. Because sometimes it can really be hard to get leaders out of their busyness to really come and sit and listen to that. I know I
0: really appreciated you doing that. Yeah. yeah. It was well worth it. Yeah. Well, well and I think it. the investment in your team. Yeah. Mm hmm. Right. Because it's one thing to send one person to a conference that, you, you know, for you to go or you be exposed. And it's hard to take it back, right? And try to spread something. Yes. And um, and everybody that came there that we had a chance to interact mm-hmm. with really embraced it and really enjoyed it and was very appreciative of the opportunity. Yeah, uh, we had to, to learn up. something so different, and to step out of that typical thinking. You yeah, know?
2: we end up with organizational development folks, HR folks, process excellence and lean folks, um, and quality folks. So we mm-hmm. had people from a variety of that's different true. disciplines mm-hmm. um, all hearing the same message. So I think that's helped. I wish we could have gotten even more physicians there. There's some that are intrigued, but they look at me and go, Three days, Liz, are you kidding me? Um, Can't you do it in one day or can you do it in half a day? Um, And so I really encourage them. um, What I encourage a few of them to do is to do it at least day one Mm -hmm. because I think once they do day one, they'll be hooked. Right mm-hmm. to day two and day three. Yeah, so we we'll yeah. keep trying.
1: Oh yeah, we'll oh, get yeah. Them there. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we're always looking for new ways to bring it too. Right, sure. just always getting feedback from participants and learning. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. always in the future as well. So well, and we also know from uh, conversations we've had with you, just one on one, because you've always been a gracious colleague too. To say, hey, can we can we ask you a few questions? Because we like to keep our pulse on what's happening out there with clinician well-being and resilience and some of the major things that are on the minds of executives today. And uh, you brought early to us, um, I think, the tension between patient safety and clinician safety and spoke quite articulately about how that, you know, keeps you up at night. Can you tell us a
2: little bit about the trends you've seen as a CNO and what's happening now today? Absolutely. I would have to say, I think at this point in my career, Patient safety does not keep me up as much as it used to. That used to be my focus. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have done so much work um, in our organization to really impact those things. And we've driven them way close to zero. Are we at zero for everything? No. Are we at zero for many, many months in a row? For CLABSI, CAUTI, for um, falls with injury even. Now, falls not, And I swear to God, until gravity is fixed. <laughs> I'm not sure that'll go away. But our goal has been, let's just focus on no injuries with falls, mm-hmm. um, and along with hospital-acquired infections, all the rest of it, and they are so close to zero. I know we can get there. Mm-hmm. I know we can mm-hmm. get there. So I don't stay awake at night, but I do stay awake at night over clinician safety, mm-hmm. and that is more and more and more so. Um, seeing colleagues get injured breaks your heart,
0: mm-hmm. and we've
2: had many colleagues that have been injured, not only the the um, emotional side of mm-hmm. uh, both verbal um, abuse um, and the things that are said to them but I think we've seen too much of the physical side mm-hmm. and even if they don't have long term physical harm that feeling of here I am caring for people I'm trying to give my best and they hurt me even unintentionally I think has long term effects mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. we've got we have one colleague that I keep her in my prayers every night she has been um, punched twice in the head um, with so concussions twice has long-term outcomes from it, um, was trying to go to nursing school. That lifelong dream was gone at this point. Mm, um, And both she and her children have have anxiety disorders at the thought of her coming to work. So at this point, she's barely working. Mm -hmm. Um, So she has gone from working full-time with the uh, idea of a long-term career as a nurse to working here and there in a monitoring room, hidden behind locked doors where she can feel safe. But her children are still upset when she goes to work because they're so afraid mom's going to come home hurt again. Mm. That's horrifying.
0: Mm -hmm. And when
2: we have our law enforcement and prosecuting attorneys who don't take that seriously, and when colleagues go and want to file police reports for those kinds of injuries, and they kind of look at you like, well, that's just part of your job. Mm. Well, it's not part of the job. Nobody went into these jobs to be hit, hurt, called names thumbs broken, et cetera. Um, And the number we've seen they have gotten punched, heavily punched in the head and the face is horrific. And it's just, it's escalating. It has been escalating. It's escalating across the country. Um, And I don't think we're paying enough attention to it. And we're not putting enough safeguards in. Um, I think we've done a lot of things to try to tackle it, Mm -hmm. but it's not um, had a conversation just this week Um, from one of our exec teams who really thought it was that we weren't doing enough about it Mm -hmm. and thought that we weren't taking enough action to be intolerant of it. Right. But actually thought that more of it was from behavior health, antisocial kinds of behavior. It's not. The majority, um, at least from our organization, have been patients with cognitive disorders, with dementia, with Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, with issues related to neurological diseases. Um, The majority of these patients are not doing it intentionally, knowingly intentionally doing it. Mm-hmm. There are a few of those, and mm-hmm. those we, we press charges, we, give them, we kick them off the property, we tell them they're not welcome unless they're seeking emergency medical care. That's not the majority of these patients, mm-hmm. of these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is just as much from visitors, I oh. hate to say it, as it is sure. from patients um, or families of colleagues um who are coming in in terms of all the all the stuff going on in our country today yeah. mm-hmm. um, and the the lack of i don't know what personal respect, decorum mm-hmm. um, and the propaganda of hate mm-hmm. that goes on around the country
0: that's really sad. It is so sad, right? I mean, like to your point, here you are, yeah, really giving of yourself vulnerably, mm-hmm. right. Caring for others and then to have those kinds of things. And then and it's just hard, too, because especially if it's somebody with dementia or, you know, this is not an intentional thing, right? right? But the devastation of that. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, and re- their families hate it. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. I mean, the families oh. of the
2: patient are horrified. I'm sure. At how their loved one has changed and can't imagine if that's how they're
0: behaving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well... Liz, what do you what do you do? Like, you know, um, what kind of things do you put in place to try to help uh, protect staff in these kinds of situations? What are some things that you've maybe experienced?
2: We've done a few things. We put we created a psychiatric response Mm. um, nurse and team um, about maybe two or three years ago, where we took certified psychiatric nurses who really have higher level skills, um, and these are staff nurses that are really absolutely phenomenal at dealing with behavioral issues in ways that probably the rest of us were not trained to do. Mm -hmm, Um, And we simply didn't have that training um, Mm -hmm. in our careers. And so they have actually, they are proactive. They're 24-7. They make rounds on all the units, connect with charge nurses and staff nurses, number one, to identify, are there any potential issues on the unit? Um, If there are, they work with the individual staff to create behavioral plans for the patients, to teach them and coach them on how to react and how to identify early signs of behavior escalating, how to teach them how to to talk less pejoratively. How do we engage them in a way that's positive as opposed to when somebody's escalating, the worst thing you do is say, don't you talk to me like that. Mm -hmm. There's a way to speak to patients that they have taught me phenomenally. Um, And they're teaching all of us. That has now um, continued to evolve. And now we've created a safety response team. So in partnership with our security officers and social work, we've taken a core group of staff. And they have trained for months, training as a team, on Mm -hmm. how to respond, how they know who's going to take what action, what are the signals when they have to move from de-escalation to something more physical, who's in lead, Who's going to take the lead in this scenario? Unfortunately, that was after we had a few scenarios that we didn't like mm-hmm. um, in terms of either over-physical response or somebody getting injured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so really, they've come together. Um, they are available 24-7. We make sure there's some of them on each day around the clock. Um, and they are, we are very much encouraged staff to report issues and to call them early. Mm-hmm. Don't wait until it's physical and voices are loud and raised. Mm-hmm. Call them as soon as you think there might be a problem. And they allow, again, to get the situation under control and to give people tools and tips and tricks in how to deal with the patient going forward. And what are the ways we're going to do that? And so there's a plan, mm-hmm. a written plan that everybody knows um, and mm-hmm. we pass on. Mm-hmm. And then they continue to be available through the psych resource nurse to round on those patients throughout the day, throughout all shifts, to really double check in and make sure the plan doesn't need to be changed. Mm -hmm. Um, We have also do crisis prevention um, training. Done it for many of our staff in the ED, critical care. But we really have begun to believe that we need the training of how to do de-escalation and uh, reduce that pejorative language across the board clinicians non-clinicians the poor housekeeper who goes in to empty the trash and has no idea what they're walking into the person registering the patient or the person at the front door um, who greets them that they all need that so um, my internal team of fabulous psych um, mm-hmm. folks have put together a program it's about I think it's about two two and a half hours they put a whole game plan together um, and then train the trainer so they have about a I think about a dozen that they've trained to teach this course. Um, and we've set up courses and we they presented to the executive team a plan whereby every colleague and we hope every medical staff member um, will go through the course over the, over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. We began rolling it out in the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're taking a short break over um, Epic um, <laughs> during super user training, but then we were back on the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we looked at the data and prioritized the more high prone uh, areas first, and they have all been trained, all the high prone are finalized. They'll be wrapped up the end of this month, Um, and then we'll be moving to other areas. We gave leaders and staff two options. One, to sign up to go to a class that has multiple people, all disciplines, or leaders, if they had the capability in their department to pull everybody together all at the same time, we'd send a trainer to the department to do the training for the whole department at once. And Some departments felt that would be stronger because Mm -hmm. their whole team would have the same language and would know what to do. Um, Others have just, they're signing up and making sure everybody gets through it. We've classified as a mandatory education program. Mm. So -hmm. it's not an option not to go because we feel that that strongly that that is imperative that people get those skills. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and then what just struck me too, um, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit as we go forward, is um, sometimes it's not people outside the hospital. Sometimes it's not patients and families. Yeah. Sometimes it's colleagues. Yeah. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, having those kinds of skills, everybody having those kinds of skills is an excellent idea. I think, you know, yeah. I'm sitting here thinking, can I come to the class? I wouldn't mind learning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And right? That, like yeah. absolutely. In this day and age, you, you know, you could use that anywhere.
2: Yeah. And I think um I would for, for our organization, I um I would tend to believe that we don't have much inter as um, probably we've had in the past because we created a program back in 2004 and then rolled it out and have continued it um, called Excellence in Action. And we create a set of behavioral standards that are very crystal clear as to what behaviors are tolerated, what behaviors are not. Mm -hmm. Um, We hold our leaders accountable to them and Mm -hmm. all of our colleagues. And we embed those into their annual performance reviews Mm -hmm. and mid-year reviews. Mm -hmm. It can be terminated, and we've had many people – um, actually lose their roles um, over it. And we were very clear that it's, there is no such thing as a great nurse, a great technician, a great anything with a butt. If they are not as equally kind to their colleagues, the physicians they work with, and their peers at all levels, it's not acceptable yeah. in the organization. Um, and we've been pretty crystal clear with that. And we now hire people based on those criteria. So people come in knowing that's the expectations. And when we did some of the initial training, we actually had people who were like, this is a bunch of hogwash and da 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 -da." A few of them were escorted out and they were done that day Yeah, um, Yeah. because it's just not acceptable anymore. So I think we've tackled that pretty heavily in the organization, Mm -hmm. including the medical staff partners. Right. They have been amazing partners in this journey. And it took them a little longer to build that into their own internal policies and procedures and set codes. Codes of conduct mm-hmm. for the physicians, but mm-hmm. once they were there, they're there, right? Um, and they are no longer accepting that behavior as well.
1: Yeah, it's at zero tolerance.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, it's got
0: to be. That's yeah, how it's got to be, right? And yeah,
2: we place sign. We put actually placed signage um, about maybe nine months ago. Um, Have very visible signage at every every entryway in elevator um, uh-huh. on elevator doors. Um, in both the parking structures, the main building, our ambulatory clinics, that very clearly that we will not tolerate um, violence. Mm-hmm. And whether it's physical, mm-hmm. verbal, sexual harassment, very clear, and that as a senior um, executive team that we would support any staff um, in reporting and having people removed from the premises if, if it takes place. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to hold to that.
0: Wow, that's, that's fantastic.
2: It's very impressive. It is.
1: And, you know, you just think, gosh, when I started out as a new nurse, I never even worried about that i know <laughs> you know so it's just yeah. it really is something to now hold that accountability as a leader but also the reality of those fears as a caregiver
2: today mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and we, we hold our managers accountable that if somebody is actually in in a situation and has a workplace violence we hold the manager accountable for linking in with that staff as soon as possible and continuing to link in with them over the next yeah. as long as possible um, in order to make sure that they are okay, and that right. we're giving them the resources they need for their own personal resilience. Sure,
1: sure, absolutely. So we've been um, reading in the literature that discharge happens to be, a, you know, a dangerous time for patients and families just because of the communication that needs to be happening then, the coordination of care, and is, are the, is discharge a high risk area from your perspective, or other times and. You know, what are some things you've implemented? Well, you've already described your programs to us, which is great. But are there other things exactly. you've done for patient safety? For patient, patient safety.
2: safety, yeah. I think discharges, I think all the handoffs yeah. um, that have to happen and make sure. With, you know, in today's world where my primary care physician is not who would see me in the hospital, and there's multiple yes. specialists involved, and then somehow I've got to get handed back off yeah. to the outpatient arena, um, I think just by, by definition creates potential safety yeah. issues. So we have... We have created in the past probably year, year and a half, and we've been honing it. Um, in our current system, we've got IPOCs, Interprofessional Plans of Care. Of course, interprofessional was a laugh because the only people who use them were nurses. Um, <laughs> but over the past year and a half, we've really, in that system, used one of them that's called Transitions of Care and created created and changed the title of it, mm-hmm. and we call it the Patient Story. Mm. And we now have all disciplines Documenting in that same place. So if I open it up on some one of my right. on one of the patients, I can see both what the nurse says, and then I can see what the social worker says happened, what the the um, care coordinator, respiratory therapist, all the other disciplines that involve, including spiritual care, dietary, mm-hmm. pharmacy. Mm-hmm. We don't have physicians um, documenting mm-hmm. in there, but mm-hmm. they're reading them. They are reading them. So it's in one place today. I can go and get the patient's full story. Mm-hmm. Full story of what's going on and what's the plan. It's from day one. What's the plan for discharge? What are we working towards? What's preventing them from being discharged? And then how do we make sure at the end we can wrap that up in a bow? We've got a a document that we're beginning to use. We're piloting in a couple of places called Transitions Home, where we're documenting on there for the family and patient. Mm -hmm. And then our next step is really to talk about a warm handoff between the inpatient staff and the ambulatory environment that the patient's being help, um, mm-hmm. handed off to. Mm-hmm. We do that for long-term care. We do that for skilled nursing. Actually, a warm handoff um, on some of the units. They actually do um, something where they connect with and the family can meet the staff at the other side um, in order to kind of test that out. Oh. So we're working on that more and more and trying to trying to work out the bugs of that because it obviously does take more time but it's important to make prevent readmissions but to make sure they're going home to a safe place right right yeah wow There's a lot to think about, isn't there? Oh my gosh. Life is so much more complex today. I don't know if I could be a staff nurse in today's world, quite (laughs) frankly.
0: I know. I think about that too. Even as a respiratory therapist, I think, I don't think I could ever go back. I don't know that I could take it. (laughs) A lot of things to think about and, you know, trying to keep everybody safe and, you know, but it just, it sounds like you've put some really great programs in place and, and you were just telling us about all these different things that you've done for, you know, to help with keeping the clinician safe. I just wondered, what are there any thoughts about what they can do themselves? You know, like, I mean, learning these, these approaches, but is there anything else that's struck you, you know, that if you're the clinician, you know, what can you do for yourself? Well, in, the, in the program we put together, it's heavily on the verbal de-escalation,
2: but they have incorporated ways. Where do you stand in the room? How do you position yourself? Mm-hmm. Okay. How do you make sure you always have a safe exit? So they, the, some of that has been incorporated into it to really say this is about keeping you safe mm-hmm. um, around that and when to make sure you back up as opposed to get closer. Um, and then we talk a lot about resilience. We talk a lot about self-care um, and how important it is for every clinician. Um, I uh, We did a graduation for our RN residents last Last week, I think it was the week before. Mm-hmm. One of the questions I asked them as we're wrapping them up, I asked them three questions. One, what did they learn about themselves personally during this 13-month residency? What did they learn about themselves professionally? Mm-hmm. And what have they learned to do and have implemented as self-care and incorporate into their daily lives? And what does that look like? By far, they've been here. We give that message the entire program to really keep telling people about it and to talk about it, it looks different for every person. It could be walking outside, it could be reading a book, it could be meditating, it could be listening to music, whatever works for you. Mm -hmm. But make sure you're taking a half hour a day to take time for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've got a lot of programs in the organization that we do with various exercise classes and other things. Um, Our physician group, our physician-employed medical group, has got a whole work group. Around physician resiliency and taking care of themselves, mm-hmm. um, working on programs and really escalating that up so people have that front and
0: foremost. Well, I think that's that's a really great point because if you're not taking care of yourself, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. your fuse is short, right? Mm-hmm. And then your your um, right your capacity right to manage these kinds of situations yeah. is much smaller. And so what a great point to just, you know, by incorporating it. has such an impact on so many different things. And we try to manage the hours people work. So we
2: don't allow people to be scheduling oh, yes. four 12s in a, a row. We we look at a maximum of, I think the, the yeah. IOM data, some of the research is maximum of 60 hours yeah. um, in a week, but not all together and really pushing people. So we do run reports to see who's got a lot of hours. We ran a report um, a few months ago for our EVS and found not a lot, but probably 15 or 20 of them that are working horrendous hours, Mm -hmm. all because they want to, because they need and want the money. But we really had to talk to them about self-care and how they have to care for themselves. We do have a sleep hygiene program for staff on midnights um, that our sleep study, or our sleep study, our sleep lab um, has worked with. We did some research around it. So staff nurses learn that as they come on board, um, and we're really beginning to incorporate that. We probably need to move that past nursing because it hasn't really gone to some other disciplines. But that needs to go a bit broader to make sure everybody realizes the importance of just sleep and getting into a pattern and what helps you sleep and what do you do. I mean, I have a whole pattern of what I go. My husband laughs at me about the, the <laughs> shenanigans I go through when I'm ready to go to sleep. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I, I pack up all my stuff when I when we're traveling. It all has to come with me. Yes. And it has certain foot balms and oils and my <laughs> mask, and I have a heating pad for my feet. And all of those came from our sleep lab who said, here are some things that help.
0: Yes. So if
2: you have problems sleeping, not just midnight shift, what are some things you can do to help make sure you get a good, sound, restful sleep on a routine basis? Because that's foundational. Just yeah. foundational.
1: Yeah, I could have used some of that last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: the last two nights, last I think. The two nights.
1: Yeah. I've had a cold and I haven't been sleeping well. lot. I told Tracy this morning, I was listening to all
0: these sleep apps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And But, you know, it does, it takes intention. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it is each of our responsibility, yes. right? There are things organizations can do for you. There's things they can put in front of you. But when yeah. it comes right down to it,
2: Absolutely.
0: You are 100% responsible for your life, yeah. right, and for the quality of that. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, taking a little bit of time to do a nightly routine or a morning routine or right. whatever it is, right, that keeps you grounded and relaxed and some quiet time, um, is it's really well worth it. But Absolutely. it really is up to each person. Yeah. You can't do the work for them. Nice. You no. Know. Organizations have, I think, have an obligation to
2: provide information Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. their for their colleagues and their staff and their employees, um, and make it available to them. But you're right; it's it's the individuals are the only ones who can incorporate that
0: into their own lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dang it. (laughs) You have to do the work, folks.
1: (laughs) So another question we wanted to ask you was you did a great job talking about the realities of an escalation of disruptive behaviors in the workplace and some of the programs that you've put together. Uh, Another question we wanted to know is, you know, um, the whole second victim experience when there is a bad outcome, a bad experience. And um, what
2: has been your experience with that? I think that's one that um, we had done some work um, quite a few years ago in that area and space, but for some reason it seems to have dropped off a bit. So we really reinvigorated it a few months ago mm. and talking about it more and more. So we do, as part of when there are significant incidents that take place, we do root cause analyses. And as part of that process, mm-hmm. making sure we have formal connections with the, with the people that also are harm meaning the person who was involved in the right. clinician who was involved offering them support through our, our program with care bridges through our social workers through our crisis debriefing um, folks and just that constant connection from their leader to help reinforce we've got a scenario going on right now mm-hmm. where we have a family member on Facebook saying some very horrific things about one of our um, one of our physician partners um, and it is devastating to that physician. And if you knew what the whole scenario was, it's not valid or true. But there's not much they can do. And it's getting getting quite quite a following for it. And the damage to that physician's reputation um, is heartbreaking. So really rallying around that physician, both Mm -hmm. from the medical staff side as well as from the administrative side, to make sure that we're giving them the support they need to kind of live through this Mm -hmm. um, and then walk through on the other side.
1: Right, right. That's so important to feel supported. And, you know, with all these events, too, it's, you know, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with the event. It lives on in a human response through the individual themselves. So having that kind of support is really
0: important. Well, and sometimes, too, it's um, it's just in the in the routine mechanism of providing care, right? And a situation can just be a patient situation. It doesn't have to be... Anything that's related to violence or anything related to, yeah, it's just something happens with the patient and it just depends on the person, right? Right. And they take it on in a way that is not healthy for them or is harmful for them. Um, And, uh, you know, so, and I think that probably happened and happens a lot more than we probably even know, Give it credit for, yeah. Because people, you know, that's the kind of stuff people mm-hmm. don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Clinicians don't share that stuff right. with each other, right? Because you're judging yourself and, you are you know, you're, it's your own story yeah. you're telling. And, and uh, it's just really hard. But know? We have um, done a lot of work around just culture and really training mm-hmm. all of our
2: leaders. Um, and then we do a mini course for all of our colleagues around using that, those concepts to really try to understand what is underlying it. Not saying everything's blame-free. Because sometimes people do, do reckless things or make mistakes or kind of don't follow the process and drift from it. But how do we do it and still support them through mm-hmm. it? Um, and how do we make sure that all of our leaders are servant leaders enough to be to be humble enough and to say when they made mistakes and to be willing to share? Mm-hmm. One of my leaders shares widely um, her experience and what happened with her when she was a staff nurse in the ICU. She actually was sanctioned. Um, by the Board of Nursing, what she learned from that, it ha- the, the way that organization dealt with it was not a just culture. Mm-hmm. And it was created into something more than it ever should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but she shares that so that it makes her seem vulnerable to what mistakes that we have made and how we've lived through them, mm-hmm. especially for our young nurses, Sure, yeah. especially for our young nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, so they understand that, We aren't all perfect. Mm -hmm. We've all made mistakes of one kind or another. And acknowledging it and how we work through it um, and letting them know that that is part of being human. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it is. And, you know, there's, I don't know, somewhere when you... Go away to school and you learn to be a clinician. It's just like, you know, you become superhuman, right? You're (laughs) supposed to be superhuman, not make mistakes, and everything's supposed to go perfect. (laughs) That's right. Right? And it takes a long time to overcome that stuff. Well, we were taught, at least I was taught in nursing school, that your
2: house and your home and your outlife is left there. You kind of put on this special cape when you come yeah. into work, <laughs> right? And and all of that doesn't matter anymore. Well, that's but that was never true then. It's certainly not true no. now. No. So making sure people know, and when you reaching out to colleagues, yeah, and being willing to say. And my staff know. I say, you know, there are days they say, guys, this is just a rocky day for me. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not on my best. And please let me know if I sound mm-hmm. or come across inappropriately or I make a face that's inappropriate, let me know. Because I know I'm not at my best today. Right. Either something was going on in my personal life, or I didn't get good sleep, or something else was going yeah. on. And just make sure that we're helping each other and supporting each other. Right. And we should know who are those folks that will tell you. Right. Right. Exactly. Not talk about it behind your back, but we'll yeah. come up and go, Liz, you know, that was just not the best way to have said that. And I'd be like, what exactly did I say? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then go out and, apo- and apologize yeah. for whether it's the tone or the words or whatever, um, so that we really do have a supportive culture and a healthy work environment.
0: Right. That's just so critical. It is. And uh, and kudos to you and your leaders to just open that up, right? To, to step into that, to demonstrate it, to live it. So that others know it's safe to do that as well and uh, Mm -hmm. to welcome that. That's Mm -hmm. really great. It has to start the senior executive team. Well, it, leadership it is everything, to, right? right. <laughs> yeah. All the way through. Yeah. Yep. Everybody's looking at
1: you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so well, whether you know, like it or not. Do right? as I say, do as I do. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it's all about who you are and how yeah. you show up. And yeah. And I'm just really impressed yeah. um, with what I've heard here today. And always have been impressed, Liz, with you and yeah. and the work that you've done uh, in your organization. And I just so appreciate you being here and sharing with everybody. Yes. Um, all your legacy, wisdom. yeah, legacy. your legacy, man. You're 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 leaving them well well prepared to move I, into the future. I certainly
2: hope so. <laughs> They're the ones who'll be caring for me, so they. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's and let's way. not forget that. That's <laughs> <laughs> right, and I tell them that routinely, guys. <laughs> I have been in some of our beds, and you know, as I uh, continue to age, that may be more often, and so. I need to make sure that I've got people there that are going to do it for me, right. what I want them to do for everyone. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So true. Yeah. So Liz, is there any like closing words of wisdom you would give to people on this topic?
2: I think to just not forget um, that there are always two sides of that coin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and remembering to put it in front of everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that probably earlier in my career as a chief nurse, I would put it more on the side of the patient. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm really trying to say that there's a balance there. Yeah. And you've got to keep that balance um, and understand it mm-hmm. um, and work through it. Even if, it's, even if you still think, for me, a vulnerable patient would still be my first priority, but you got to understand what goes on with the colleague, employee at the same time yeah. and help them through that. Yeah. Um, and so I think really knowing that from the get-go and focusing on both sides of that polarity I think is critical.
0: Well, and I think, too, if you can put the action steps in place like you have, right, on both sides, then you're not having those sleepless nights and having to worry all the time because you're monitoring, you've got good systems in place, you continue to tweak them and fine tune them. And then you just get into maintaining, and you're not, you know, you know, starting over or trying to yep. get get at something that you have neglected.
2: Yep, I have an amazing team that yeah. has gotten us here.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, we wish you the best, and we want to stay in touch. Yes, definitely, absolutely. Yes. definitely.
0: We we'll have to come up to Traverse City. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Do some walking in the woods, <laughs> and drinking wine the by the fireplace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that'd be her thing. <laughs> well, thanks
2: so much. Liz. Yes. thank you very much.
1: Tuning in today. If you found our conversation insightful or helpful, please share this episode with others you think might benefit. Also, go out to iTunes and rate the show and share a review because we
0: really like those positive ones. Wink, wink. You can access today's show notes and downloads at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you want to learn more about polarities in healthcare or how you might manage them in your organization, You can contact us for a free consultation. Just go to our website at www.missinglogic.com.